yourselves ready. <laughs> Week two, after you get your books, uh, would you stand with me? We're going to read our key verses for today. So hold your hand up. We'll have people passing books out to you. Let's see those Bibles again if you brought your Bible. Yeah. How many of you had to, if you're honest, brush the dust off of it? It was on the counter. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so in case you weren't here last week, um, for this series, what we're going to do is before every message, we're going to stand together and we're going to read scripture. And then after we read the key verses, what we're going to do is we're going to do a church declaration uh, in honor of the word. And so when I finish reading the key verses, with confidence and unity, we're going to declare a declaration together of our commitment to the word of God. Um, so if you haven't got a book, just keep your hand up. But I'm going to get right in. We have a lot of ground to cover. Um, so key verses for today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 4. Verse 29 through 35. So go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 35. And I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. And just to give you a little context, what we're about to do is we're going to jump right in to the tail end of a prayer session with the disciples. So we're going to jump right at the end of them praying together in verse 29. And so here we go. I think I stalled enough for everyone to get their books. <laughs> so verse 29 of Acts chapter 4. This is the end of a prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And the last verse, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's Acts 4.29 through 35. And so together now with one voice, let's say this declaration together in response to the word of God all together. This is my Bible. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise and I will live by every command. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Yeah. So I love that. If you're unfamiliar with kind of what that is, that's called liturgy. It's liturgical Worship. It's where we together recite phrases or sentences, and it may be canned or cheesy. You've probably been to churches maybe that do that, and everybody's just 
glossed over and they read it, but when there's a heart behind it, with one voice, one heart, one soul, and we declare, this is my Bible. I will believe everything in it. I will live by every command. When we believe that, we'll change the city for Jesus. And so we're going to do that every week for this entire series. And so be ready every time. Jump in there with confidence and unity. So we're studying the book of Acts, week two. Uh, We're going to be studying, like I said, this for 10 weeks, which sounds like a long time, but it's not long enough. Uh, Today we have a lot of ground to cover. And so we're going to be really studying the second half of chapter two all the way through the first half of chapter six. And so hopefully by dinner time, we'll be out of here fasting lunch today. So I want to do a Netflix-style recap of what we're going to be covering. Everybody knows what a Netflix recap. I remember being glued to the show like Arrow, watching Netflix at the beginning of every episode, previously on the Arrow, or previously on, and then it would give you a recap of everything you need to know that's relevant to today's episode. That's what I'm about to do, and I need you to buckle up because I'm going to talk fast. A Netflix-style recap of the first six chapters of Acts so we can really zone in and know what's happening relevant to today's message. I'm going to go fast. I warned you twice. So here we go. Buckle up. You can flip with me if you want to. So in Acts chapter 1, you discover that the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke. He is writing to Theophilus, who most likely is the one who sent Luke to investigate what's happening with Jesus. He maybe even financially supported Luke to go and investigate the work of Jesus. And like Pastor Ron covered last week in Acts 1, you see Jesus, he spends over 40 days with his people and then he ascends back to the Father. He tells his disciples to wait for the promise of the Spirit which then leads to them gathered in an upper room together where the Spirit of God falls on them and they begin to supernaturally speak in other languages. And on the outside just so happens to be people from other nations and as they listen, they hear their own language praising God and praising God for His mighty works. It was a miracle, which then leads to Peter preaching a message in the public square where thousands and thousands of people listen. And he preaches what's called in history the first Christian sermon. He preached truth and he preached the gospel and thousands of people received the word and repented and were saved. And this was the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to talk about today. And so you see in the back half of Acts 2, the marks of the church at its beginning. And then in Acts 3, Peter and John, they walk into the temple, which is kind of like this the congregational gathering of all the people and they walked into the temple to pray and they see a beggar on the outside and they stop and they pray for him. He gets healed and religious leaders hear about it and chapter four is all about them interrogating Peter and John. Why'd you do this? How did you do this? In what name are you doing this? Peter boldly responds to them, stands firm in his faith. He says, we will not stop sharing Jesus. We will not stop preaching Jesus. We will will not stop healing and miracles happening through us in the name of Jesus. He, He remains bold. But Peter and John are released. They go back with the other believers. 
They tell them what happened, and we just read. They prayed together. Lord, we're being persecuted. We need boldness. And they prayed, and guess what happened? The Holy Spirit fell and gave them boldness. And then the church continues to grow, and people continue to walk in generosity. But then you got chapter 5, which if you read any of Acts today, I'm sure chapter 5 is like, what just happened? You see true generosity, but then you see false generosity all the way to two people being struck dead by the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about today. But in spite of that, the church continues to grow. Miracles happen. The apostles begin, keep teaching, but then they keep getting interrogated by leaders, trying to shut them down. But guess what happens? They keep going. And this takes us to chapter 6. You get a quick glimpse into a problem that pops up. It didn't take but three chapters for a problem to happen within the church walls. And the body of believers noticed that people were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Church people got hurt and offended. Oh my gosh. And the apostles realized they couldn't stay faithful. The apostles realized they couldn't do what they were supposed to do in preaching and teaching and handle the logistics. So they empowered seven men to help carry the load, which is Acts chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. I'll read it. These they set before the apostles, these seven men. They prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to faith. And that's the first six chapters of Acts. All right, so with your Netflix recap, you got it, you know what's going on. What these chapters are really full of is the beginning of the church. It was the establishing of the new covenant between God and his people. And if you think about it, we've really the last two weeks have hit on this topic. That the old covenant was built around a holy place, the temple where God dwelled in a fixed geographical location where really only one person a year could enter his presence. But now you see in Acts, everything changes. The new covenant is happening, and it's not a holy place, but a holy people, the church. In Acts, you see that the church is not a building, it's people. The book of Acts was written to show us the ongoing work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through his church. And so what you see taking place in these chapters is the people of God really becoming what the temple of God was supposed to be in the Old Testament. If you go and read your Old Testament in Deuteronomy 14 and 15, you see the temple was supposed to be where generosity flowed from and healing took place. But now the new temple, the people of God, the church, you see generosity and healing presence flowing out. It wasn't a building anymore. It was a people. It was a people. It was God's plan to reach society through his people. And God's plan to bring healing to the outsiders through his people his church. And that was his plan that we see begin to carry out in Acts. And guess what? Still his plan today. His people, his church. And so if you want to have a key point on the left side of your 
notebooks, here's the one and only key point that really everything centers around today. It's that God's plan is to advance his kingdom and the vehicle he chooses to do so is through healthy local churches. God's plan is to advance his kingdom and the vehicle he chooses to do so is through healthy local churches. Underline the word healthy local churches. That's the key point of the day. God's plan is to advance his kingdom. And in case you really don't know what his kingdom really looks like, his kingdom is the rule and reign in the hearts of people. Because when he rules and reigns in the hearts of people, we'll take men, for example, when he rules and reigns in a man's heart, guess what? He most likely is going to get the family. And if he gets families, guess what? He's going to get neighborhoods. If he gets neighborhoods, he's going to get cities. If he gets cities, he's going to get states. If he gets states, he's going to get a nation. And you see it. It, it affects everything. God's kingdom is the rule and reign in the hearts of people. And where God is not ruling and reigning in the hearts of people, he then chooses to plant a church to reach that context. And now the church, as the vehicle, goes to specific locations to bring the gospel, to see the lost saved, and then disciple. I mean, this is the story of Christian Life Church. Ron and Carrie Caradoff were called by God to come to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And there were people here in this city, you and I, perhaps, were some of them. There were people here in this city where God was not ruling and reigning in the hearts of people. And through a faithful couple obeying the Lord, moving all the way from Louisiana to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, they obeyed the Lord, they planted this church, the gospel was preached, is preached, and will always be preached. Disciples were made, which led to multiplication, and I know that I raised my hand as one of thousands that have been blessed and affected by a faithful couple obeying the Lord to advance his kingdom through planting a church. This is God's plan. This is his plan A. Society wants to convince us there are other plans that will work better while God in his word says, no, this is my plan. There is no other plan to advance the kingdom through local churches, which consists of bodies of believers. This is what we see happening in Acts. And remember, Acts is to show us the ongoing work of Jesus by the Spirit through his church. And God's plan is to advance his kingdom through healthy local churches. And yes, we have to pause and, and admit, I hate that we even have to do it. Yes, the church has flaws. The church has flaws. People, broken people make mistakes. And some of those mistakes are minor, and some of those are major. Some of you have been affected by minor mistakes and major mistakes of church people. Society also has been affected, but God's plan still remains. Through his church, he advances his kingdom. And I know we could talk hours and hours about the flaws of the church and the American church, and there's documentaries continuing to be made on the American church, and I'll jump into those conversations, and we'll go back and forth, but if I'm honest, 
I don't know if I speak on behalf of you. I'm, I'm just kind of tired of it. How about we just model what a healthy church should look like, what a biblical church should look like, where believers walk in humility, where they serve one another, where they make room for one another's faults, where they pray for one another, where they address conflict, where they handle grievances in a healthy way. Where we just do what we're supposed to do. (laughs) According to the model we see God give us through his word, which is what we're going to study today. The church has flaws, but the church is still God's plan A. And so we are unapologetic about belonging to Christian life church, which is a part of the big C church. And we will continue to advance the kingdom through the context of the local church, which is a family. It's a family. But what is it, what is it that marks a true local church that pleases God? What is a healthy local church? And that's what we're going to talk about today through these chapters. But again, you have to remember that a local church is not an organization. It's not a building. The church is us. We are the church. You are not the church by yourself. We are the church together. And what characteristics really should be present in all of us that would then lead to a healthy local church body that pleases the heart of God. And so with all the time we have left, this is what we're talking about. So turn with me to Acts 2, verse 42. And right here we see three, actually four quick things that pleases the heart of God. So Acts 2, 42 says, And they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the first thing we see is that the church in Acts that we too should follow is a commitment and devotion by the believers to four things, the apostles and their teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's expound upon each of those. There was a commitment to the apostles and their teaching. And so what the apostles just did is they just watched the church go from like 120 people to over 3,000 people. It's like the church at the beginning of the sermon was like 300 and at the end of the sermon was over 3,000. And so godly leadership was instantly necessary, like sheep that need a shepherd to lead and feed them. So it was with the believers. They needed shepherds to lead them and teach them the word of God. And the apostles would teach the church about Jesus through the Old Testament. They would use the Old Testament and they would search the scriptures and they would teach Jesus. They taught the Bible. The Bible. And I read in a book this week on this topic, this paragraph I had to share. It says, healthy churches consume a healthy diet of sound doctrine. They feast on the word of God which tells the message of the Savior. This truth is a great reminder that pastors must lay down any desire to preach opinions and must avoid the temptation to entertain or to play with people's emotions. 
Each must instead see and embrace his role as God's spokesperson. Each must seek to please an audience of one. Pastors must believe scripture is sufficient to build up and bless the church. Churches, in turn, must submit to God's word when it is faithfully taught. The early church here in Acts is demonstrating such humility before the word. And so if the early church did it, then we should do the same. And I'm thankful for Pastor Ron and his heart to be committed and faithful to the teaching of the Bible. It's not opinions, it's the word. And as a church, we must be committed to staying submitted to God's word, like the early church. And hopefully this goes without saying, but true godly pastoral leadership, like Pastor Ron has modeled for years, recognizes that the word of God is the highest authority that governs everything that takes place here in this church. And any leader that thinks they are equal to or above scripture is a leader that needs to be rebuked and removed. But a healthy church follows pastoral leadership as that pastoral leadership is committed and faithful and submitted to the word of God. That's what was happening here in the beginning. The apostles were submitted to the word and they led from that place of valuing and submitting to the word. And may it be so in this congregation, amen? If we read something in scripture, may we submit to it and align our lives with it because we don't cut parts out of the Bible that offend us. We cut parts out of us by the spirit that offend God in his word. Yeah. Okay, the word, passionate about it. But there's a second one. There was a commitment and devotion in the early church also to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Again, the church is not just you as an individual. It's us together. We are the church, a family. And this is what shaped the early church, people living life together in close connection, life on life. It wasn't just a bunch of individuals in their own lanes, stamping their church attendance card and then leaving. It was a family gathering where lives were so intertwined and interconnected together. They did it in the temple and in homes. Both healthy churches are committed to fellowship with one another like a healthy family. This is fellowship. And one thing that I feel is necessary to point out when it comes to fellowship. Again, fellowship is not just the little 30-second greeting. That's, that's not really, by definition, fellowship. That's just a hello. But fellowship is life on life, deep connection. But in that, we have to be honest, disagreements and conflict will happen. Do you agree? <laughs> Someone's going to offend someone else. Someone's going to fail someone else. It happened then. It's all in the New Testament. And it still happens today. You don't understand why leadership does something and you get frustrated or someone says something and it offends you. We all know what this looks like. 
But what you see, the heart of God in Scripture, is that we settle differences, walk in humility, walk in forgiveness towards one another as Christ has forgiven us. So if someone offends you, this is just what Acts really shows us in all of the New Testament. If you get offended, you address it. That's so countercultural to actually address offense face to face. To address it, to walk in humility, and to forgive others. A church marked by true fellowship is a church that lays egos down, lays pride down, lays entitlement down, and addresses conflict, refuses to gossip, and is forgiving towards one another. That's the heart of God. And may it be so in our church. Again, the early church didn't get it. If you read the rest of the New Testament, in almost every single book in the New Testament, there is, please have unity. Sisters, please stop biting at each other's heads and forgive one another. There's all these little pastoral corrections because people got offended. People got hurt. So it is today. But may this church be marked with people committed to fellowship. And fellowship means humility, forgiveness, laying down of egos and pride. And I pray that the Spirit would help us. Amen? All right, that's number two. Number three, the early church was committed not just to fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread. So these fellowship and breaking of bread, they kind of go together. But the breaking of bread is in in reference to the Lord's Supper, to communion. And in that time, the Lord's Supper was always in the context of an actual meal. So they would remember the Lord Jesus by eating a meal together, lunch or dinner. And they not only enjoyed fellowship, but they, within that togetherness, they celebrated Jesus. It was togetherness that made much of Jesus. So we know what this looks like. There is a togetherness that is just catching up, let's have fun, let's swim, let's whatever, let's play games. There's that togetherness. But then there's a deeper level of togetherness that sits around the table and makes much of Jesus. Hey, what's Jesus doing in your life? Hey, how has he answered your prayers? Hey, how can I pray for you? It's a togetherness that lifts the name of Jesus. And I will live and die by saying some of the best ministry happens around tables. Tables. And this is the mark of a healthy church. But then, according to Acts 2.42, the last thing you see is the church was committed to prayer. Everybody say prayer. <clears throat> you have individual prayer, corporate prayer, prayer in the temple, prayer in homes, formal prayer, free-flowing prophetic prayer. They prayed for the sick. They prayed before sermons. They prayed before meals. They interceded for other believers. They were people of prayer. And so should we. A healthy church is a praying church. Amen? Yesterday we had our first Saturday prayer, and can I just say, stop skipping it. (laughs) Stop skipping it. When we gather together the first Saturday of every month, this is where the power happens. Not just for this church, but for your family, for your life. 
Stop neglecting prayer in your individual life, in our corporate body, because the true life source in the early church knew this. The true life source, the true power source to do anything for the kingdom is not strategy, it's not strength, it's not money, it's not talent. It's prayer. Prayer. Turn to the person next to you and say, pray more. (laughs) Pray more. All right, let's keep trucking along. The early church was devoted and committed to the apostles and their teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But then there's more. You see more. The next one that you see is the early church was marked by signs and wonders. So turn with me to Acts 5, 12 through 16, just to show you. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. And they laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. So a healthy church is marked by power. And signs and wonders should be present. I'm almost reading this book called No Diving. It's a pretty cool book. But... I was reading a chapter, and it's written by David Campbell. David is a literal genius, and a church planter, and a theologian. But he said this in this book, and again, I can't not share. Just bear with me. Read this. This is my heart. The church in our Western culture has far too long drunk from the well of rationalism without even, even knowing it. We have lived and practiced on the basis that miracles are next to impossible rather than normal. We believe in a supernatural God and a supernatural presence of His Spirit, but that belief has not invaded the day-to-day outworking of our faith. We need to repent for accepting the idea that modern Western science and rationalism is the highest form of wisdom. We need to return to a biblical worldview When Paul said the gospel is the power of God for salvation, he didn't mean to restrict that power to God's ability to draw us to Christ. The gospel is advanced by the exercise of the power of God, whether that be in preaching or in signs and wonders. And until those signs and wonders are seen again, our churches will not experience the breakthroughs that Paul and others brought the gospel to the far reaches of the Roman Empire within a few short years. So that summarized is a healthy church is a church marked by power. And can we be a church that loves the word of God but also has big faith? Big faith. Big faith for signs and wonders. If there are sick among us, can we pray for them? If people need a huge breakthrough, can we have faith for it? Whether it be a physical miracle or a financial miracle or emotional or mental Can we just be a church marked by big faith? 
I know I want all of it. I know that I am convicted by that statement. To try to categorize God into an intellectual box, it's just not going to work. I want to see God move in power in all of us. And may we respond to what David calls the church to do and just repent, to change our mind, to press in and have big faith at the expense of looking like fools. I'm not saying we turn into a crazy, disorderly church where we bust the snakes out. We have big faith. Watch this snake bite. No. I hate snakes. If we bust snakes out, that's the door I'm going to. (laughs) But we have big faith in a biblical way. But a biblical way doesn't mean an intellectual only way. It means this doesn't make any sense, but I feel the Lord asking me to pray physical healing over that person. And guess what? Can we just admit it? Sometimes God's not going to heal. Sometimes the miracle's not going to happen. And we won't know why. There's an element of mystery we have to appeal to. I don't know. But that should not prevent us like it didn't prevent the early church from having big faith. And the one thing I'll say, the last thing on this, is what if your pride is actually the obstacle to someone else's miracle? What if you're not wanting people to think you look like a dummy or not appearing cool or comfort? What if those things are barriers actually in between someone else receiving a miracle? Again, I'm not saying we turn into a wacky, disorderly church. What I am saying is, let's have big faith. Let's, let's ignore that thing in us that we all have when we feel we should be led to pray for someone. Ah, nah. No, no, what if, he, what if God doesn't? What if I look like a fool? Just lay it down. That's all I'm saying. Amen. Big faith. Because a healthy church is marked by power, signs, and miracles. should be normal, not impossible. Two more things we see present in the early church. And again, this is a deep dive into the first six chapters of seeing what a healthy church that pleases the heart of God looks like. And another thing that marked the early church was generosity. Remember, part of our key verses was Acts 4.34, where it says, Not a needy person among them, because there was no needy people among them because believers were selling their land, their houses. They were giving money to the leaders, for the apostles, and they distributed them as there was need. At the end of Acts 4, in verse 36 and 37, you see a glimpse of true generosity where it says, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, they gave him a nickname, He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is the Barnabas you maybe, you think of that meets with the Apostle Paul and becomes a big influence in the Apostle Paul's life. This is him. He he sells a field and he, he gave up all the money that he got from that and he lays it at the apostles' feet for them to distribute as there was need. True generosity. But what's interesting is in chapter 5, which is the next verses 
to follow, you get an opposite example. In verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did, you, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal to do with it what you wanted? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And verse 5 says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, he breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard. I mean, just imagine. We are in worship, and I remember back in the day where we used to have baskets. And just imagine someone coming to the front and laying an offering down and turning around and just falling to the ground. I mean, I don't even know what it looked like for them, but what you see here is that Ananias and Sapphira, they bring to the apostles money. They claim they were giving everything away. However, they secretly kept some for themselves. They lied. It was a self-centered sacrifice. They were acting in hypocrisy. They claimed they were giving away everything for Jesus while actually holding back some for themselves. And it not only cost Ananias his life, but if you keep reading, it cost his wife her life too. And it wasn't that they kept money back for themselves that was the issue. It was that they lied about it, calling it generosity. And so, let's be honest, there's an element to mystery here on why exactly it played out this way. I'm sure there are people who have answers. We're not sure why this exactly happened, but what it does show is that God is displeased in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy at its root is lying. It is saying one thing while doing another, where the outer and the inner don't align. And hypocrisy grieves the Spirit of God, and it has no place in the church. God, I mean, He used it as an example. Perhaps that was why, just to show the first sign of hypocrisy, God made an example to show, no, 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 no. I'm not pleased with just the outer, with just, like we've talked about a couple weeks ago, just the outward form. God's looking at the heart. And he shows this to show that hypocrisy grieves the Spirit of God and has no place. And may we soberly and humbly see this And may we be like Barnabas. May we be Barnabas-type, generosity-filled people and reject being like Ananias and Sapphira because true generosity starts in here and it presents itself outwardly and it should be present in this church. Amen? And here's the last thing. In the devotion and commitment to the apostles and their teaching, in the devotion to fellowship and breaking of bread, in the devotion to prayer, in the signs and wonders, and in the generosity, in the midst of all of that, there was one last thing present in the early church. 
And it was the word multiplication. Acts 2, 46 through 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Multiplication. Acts 5.14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Multiplication. Acts 6.7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, which basically means, like, the, at that time, like, I don't want to call them an enemy, but the highest level of enemy, these priests, these opposers of the gospel, they were getting saved. Multiplication. Unbelievers, lost people being saved and added to the church where they would be discipled, where they would grow in their faith to go and reach others to do the same. Multiplication marked the early church. And please hear me. It should mark this one too. This shouldn't be a theoretical in the clouds, that's for those guys idea. This should be a real life, blood, sweat, and tears, sacrificial, laying my preferences down, laying comfort down, laying the American dream down. I'm giving my life to worshiping Jesus and advancing his kingdom. Multiplication, lost people being saved and finding a home among us in this family for the glory of God. So here's what should be present in all of our lives and in turn should shape this church body like it did in the early church. Devotion and commitment. This is a recap. Devotion and commitment to spiritual leadership and the word of God. Fellowship with one another. And when there's conflict, when there's offense, we settle our differences, we walk in humility, and we move on. Breaking bread with one another, which is celebrating in our gatherings, making much of Jesus. Not just surface level, level gatherings, but like deep, sharing life, worshiping Jesus. Constant prayer, big faith leading to signs and miracles, true generosity, and multiplication through it all. This should be what shapes our life. And as it shapes your life, it shapes my life. And as it shapes our life, the culture of the church looks like that. Do you see it? This is what shaped the early church, and this is the heart of God. This is the model that the Lord gave us in his word. And may this all be present in our lives and if you're overwhelmed by the list, just pick one and ask the Spirit to help you. Lord, help me to pray more. Spirit, help me to be in fellowship with others. Spirit, help me to better support my leadership or be faithful to your word. Spirit, help me to have big faith leading to signs and miracles. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, I just will bank on their word being true, but I've heard people say that they prayed for 99 people to be healed. And it wasn't until the hundredth time they prayed that they actually saw 
someone get physically healed in a supernatural way. Again, when it doesn't happen, that shouldn't prevent us from still obeying the Lord and His Word. Have big faith. Keep pressing in. And may this be what shapes Christian Life Church. Amen? Let's stand together. I want to close in prayer. But this morning as I was digging through and just reviewing, I just read through a little more of Acts. There's just a part that really just jumped out at me. It's Acts 5, 38 through 42. And I'll just read it to you. I didn't even give it to the media team. But what you see here is this guy, his name's Gamaliel, and he sees the disciples and their bold faith, and they continue to preach the gospel and see people get healed, and once again, they're being interrogated. The religious leaders are trying to figure out what to do. Should we put them in prison? Should we kill them? Should we beat them? We're not sure. And amongst the religious leaders, this guy named Gamaliel, he stands up in the face of the disciples who had not stopped sharing the gospel. He says this to his peers. He says, basically, he recaps, man, we've seen this before. We've seen cults rise up and they fade away. But then he says in 38, so in this present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to stop it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. Then... They, the disciples, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. And that was what they did. And so should we. We are the church and this is our time. And may we boldly carry the torch in this generation to continue preaching the name of Jesus. And in our commitment to the word and to spiritual leadership and to prayer and to fellowship and to generosity and all of those things, the Lord says he will add to those. He will bring in lost children that need a home among us as we are a light to the community the Lord will continue to add and we will make disciples and they will go and do the same this is all one joint effort to the point of the day is that God's heart is to advance the kingdom and he wants to do it through healthy local churches and may Christian life be a healthy local church amen amen
Let's pray together and then I'll dismiss us. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for, for first of all, dying on the cross in our place, making a way for us to be forgiven. God, we couldn't even be a church, a people, apart from you dying in our place and rising from the grave, defeating sin and death on our behalf. And Lord, thank you as we come to you, we find forgiveness. And then in that place, you then make us a people, your people. And so Lord, I just pray, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask, would you help us be faithful to your word? Would you help us to be honoring to our spiritual leadership? Would you help us to be marked by fellowship? And would you help us to make much of Jesus in our gatherings? Lord, would you help us to be strengthened in prayer? Would you help our faith to be increased so that signs and miracles would be normal? Would you help us to be generous? And in it all, Lord, would you help us to make disciples by reaching the lost? Help us to love lost people share the gospel, and disciple them. And Lord, thank you that you're with us in it all. That's what we need help with, Holy Spirit. So we pray and we believe. We have one heart now. We have one voice. And we say, help us, Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need your strength. We need you to clothe us like you did this early church in Acts. We want to be faithful in this time. Thank you, Lord, that you chose us for 2023. And you chose us to have the kids we have, to disciple them. You chose us to have the friends we have, the neighbors we have, the coworkers we have, all in an effort to advance your kingdom. And Lord, thank you that we don't do it alone, we do it together. Thank you for this church. I pray you would unify our hearts like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate Jesus? All right, that's week two of Acts. We're excited. We're going to continue on week three. Pastor Ron will be here next week with week three of Acts. We hope you have a great week. I pray that this message would give you something to pray about and chew on for the week. We love you. We'll see you back here next week.